Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today, we'll talk about Kansas Senate Bill 47, SB 47, a proposed law scheduled to be heard by the Kansas State Commerce Committee on January 31st, 2023. If passed, SB 47 will disallow any municipal government from restricting the consumer use of single-use plastic. Virtually, the same bill was passed by the Kansas legislature in March of 2022. However, the governor of Kansas vetoed the bill and the Kansas legislature was not able to vote to override her veto. SB 47, as well as its rootstock SB 493, arguably violates the Kansas state constitution because the law blatantly removes home rule for matters of waste from the municipal government, the bodies which deal with waste disposal. But it will pass both Senate and House committees during the 2023 legislative session and may well be on the governor's desk again. Logically, the governor would veto the bill once again, and then we'll see if the legislature can override her veto. We will begin our hour with a piece from Writer's Voice, community radio podcast interview with Jenny Romer, lawyer, sustainability expert, founder of PlasticBagLaws.org, and the author of Can I Recycle This? She has worked on plastic pollution reduction policy for nearly 15 years. Then Zach Pastora, a state lobbyist for the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club, and Nancy Muma, group leader of Wakarusa Group for Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club and also director of the Sustainability Advisory Committee for the city of Lawrence, Kansas. We'll speak about how we can be more aware of the problems of single-use plastic waste. We at Eco Radio are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present or a sustainable future. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show. Recycling maven Jenny Romer tells us all about making the right recycling choices. Her book is Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling and How to Reduce Single-Use Plastics. That's all coming up on today's Writer's Voice. In-depth conversation with writers of all genres, on the air since 2004. Thanks for joining us this hour on this station and at writersvoice.net. I'm host and producer Francesca Rhiannon. 
Have you ever stood in front of a recycling bin holding an everyday object and wondered, can I recycle this? I'll bet you have lots of times. Have you ever just tossed it in, not knowing the answer? That's not recycling, that's wish cycling. But help is on the way. In her illustrated book, Can I Recycle This?, Jenny Romer takes readers on a quick but informative tour of how recycling actually works, and she gives straightforward answers to whether dozens of common household objects can or cannot be recycled. Jenny Romer is a legal associate for the Surfrider Foundation's Plastic Pollution Initiative. She helped author plastic bag bans in California and New York. Can I Recycle This? was illustrated by Christy Young. Well, Jenny Romer, welcome to Writer's Voice. So this book, um, in the first pages, I was uh, surprised to find that you have some typical questions that are asked, and they're exactly the same questions I'm always asking myself. Things like, can I recycle the netted bag my clementines come in? I just asked that to myself yesterday, as a matter of fact. What happens to the plastic bags I bring back to the grocery store to recycle? So, But before we get to the answers of those questions, first just tell us about your work as a lawyer and a sustainability consultant who works for effective legislation legislation on waste reduction and single-use plastics. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm I'm known mostly for um, my work on plastic bags. So I'm one of the national experts on plastic bag policy. Uh, I started that um, when I was a law student in San Francisco. I volunteered with the Board of Supervisors when the initial plastic bag law was being implemented in San Francisco um, and really got to know kind of the ins and outs and saw that the plastics industry was willing to spend a whole lot of money. So I saw a presentation that said they were willing to spend $700,000 in just a few months to fight local plastics policies. And I thought, hmm, this is a big deal. Um, and so I started a website about that, plasticbaglaws.org, kind of positioned myself as an expert. And now I'm a legal associate with the Surfrider Foundation's Plastic Pollution Initiative. And I spend pretty much all of my time working on uh, laws to reduce single-use plastics. And there's a lot of overlap with recycling with that. I go to a lot of recycling conferences and go on tours. And so I've learned a whole lot about recycling along the way. And I decided to move forward with this book, um, really focused first on recycling because that's what a whole lot of people kind of take pride in their recycling. Um, And then then ultimately concentrating on reducing single-use plastic and passing policies to ensure that it's reduced. And it's a really great read. I mean, I read the whole book in about two hours. Uh, It's got lots of great illustrations. It's very well laid out. First, tell us, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. That's the mantra of recycling. But tell us, what does it really mean? What does recycling mean? And, And I heard once that there was a kind of pyramid with reduce, reuse, recycle. So so talk about that mantra and, and what recycling is. Yeah, so the reduce, reuse, recycle mantra has been around since since the 70s. And really the things that we should be concentrating on the most are supposed, supposed to be in that order. So reduction, reuse, and then recycling. But there's been a whole lot of marketing about recycling. So it's very intentional that so many of us really 
think of recycling as the best thing that we can do to have a positive impact or have less of an impact on the environment. The plastics industry spent a lot of money in the in the late 80s, starting the late 80s, early 90s on marketing plastic as recyclable in part because they saw that there were some laws that were pending targeted at reducing plastic use. And so they thought, oh, if we you know, if we spend a lot of time on marketing, money on marketing, and make people feel better about using plastic, it won't be regulated as much. And so that worked. Um, And plastic really, plastic packaging has not been very regulated until very recently. Plastic bags, you mean? Uh, Plastic bags and plastics in general. So it started with plastic bags, really, um, like I said, San Francisco was was kind of at the forefront of that. They were the first city to pass and implement a ban or a you know regulation on single use plastic carryout bags. And now there are all, there are over 550 local jurisdictions and nine states that have plastic bag laws in effect. And I see that as kind of a gateway to other reduction of other plastics. So you know once people are getting from comfortable with that. Uh, we've also seen laws regulating or banning foam foodware, people call styrofoam foodware, um, on straws. And now we're seeing other types of utensils regulated. And then what I work on more and more now is regulations of all that other stuff that's on the grocery store shelves. So the bread bags and the hummus containers and all that other packaging. Well, here, here, you know, it's funny, you mentioned in the book Suffolk County, New York, which is where I live, that in 1988, it adopted a ban on plastic grocery bags and other plastic food containers, um, got sued, that failed, that legislation, I guess, or was undone. Recently, a couple of years ago, we passed a plastic grocery bag ban. It's going very well. In my hometown in East Hampton, we banned plastic straws and other towns around us have followed, and it may even be on the Suffolk County level. So it takes a long time, you know, over 30 years that it took to finally get that to happen. Do you feel that this is a movement that is is, is strengthening? Yeah, and I, I appreciate that you brought up the Suffolk County example. I think, you know, that was one of the places that was moving forward back in the late 80s. And then the plastics industry really came in with all of their marketing, um, introducing the you know requirements for and lobbying for the requirements to have that little chasing arrow symbol on containers. And that really is just meant as a as a resin identification code. It tells you what type of plastic that container is made out of, but people see it and think, oh, it's recyclable um, and feel kind of more comfortable using some of the plastics because they think that they're recyclable. Um, So I think, you know, it started back then in the late 80s. Uh, We saw that pushback from the plastics industry. We saw kind of Keep America Beautiful campaign that kind of put the onus on individuals um, to, you know, pick up their litter and stuff and focus on that as the problem. But then in the know, early 2000s, we started seeing places moving forward again and saying, wait, no, we should be regulating single-use plastic. And then San Francisco adopted their law and there was a kind of a trickle. But now we're at a point where they're becoming so much more common regulating all those things. There's momentum to have a conversation about other types of things that are on the grocery store shelves. And so now we're seeing a lot of states introducing legislation called 
extended producer responsibility or EPR, which is kind of a a wonky term, but it's really regulating, having the producers, having the manufacturers be financially responsible for all the recycling and waste disposal of all of that packaging. And then making them, really encouraging them to make products, make packaging that's more recyclable in the first place, that's made out of material that's recyclable. And so all that momentum that started, you know, back in Suffolk County um, back then is, you know, that was still part of the story that's happening now. Uh, We've just kind of have a lot more momentum going now. We're talking with Jenny Romer about Can I Recycle This? It's her guide to better recycling and how to reduce single-use plastics. So as, as you mentioned, people look at that little, you know, recycle icon and they don't really think about the number that's in the middle of it. They just assume, oh, this is recyclable. You point out that only 9% of the plastic ever produced has been recycled. That is basically way cheaper to just use virgin plastic instead of to recycle it. So give us state now. And I also know that, by the way, that, that China, you know, we, we were blithely sending all our crap to China for decades. That's greatly reduced. So give us a sense of the state of the recycling industry now. We were sending a lot of our large, low value plastics to China and they stopped taking it. So I think that really shifted the conversation too back in 2018, because it was easy to, you know, sell the low value plastic, have it go abroad. It was processed in a lot of places where there were a lot of environmental and humanitarian concerns there with family farms that were kind of converted to recycling facilities that were not regulated, you know, people with without the proper gear that were burning plastic um, in their backyards and dumping it. If we had if we were continuing to ship every to ship it abroad and have it go away to the extent that we were before, then we wouldn't be talking about policy at all, I think. And tell us about wish cycling. So wish cycling is when you're putting something in your recycling bin that your jurisdiction doesn't want and you either, you know, aren't paying enough attention to the rules or you are just thinking that they should take it and thinking that if you just put it in the bin that they'll kind of figure it out. And so I think people have kind of, some people think of their recycling facilities maybe as a place where they're taking the material and, and, you know, making new materials right there, right near there. That's not the case. Uh, Plastics recycling is a commodities market. And so, you know, things don't get made into something else unless they're sorted and bailed and then sold to a manufacturer. And so your jurisdiction has made up their mind about what they can accept based on what facilities they have for sorting and who they know their buyers are. So my biggest take home is to you know follow your local rules, but if your local jurisdiction doesn't accept yogurt cups, and people still really want to, you know, use, eat their yogurt and they want to think they're recycling it and they put it in their bin. That's not good for the facility because that just means that they're having, if they know that they aren't going to find a buyer for it, that's going to be a kind of more, just a more roundabout way of to a landfill, unfortunately. Um, but there are some things that are worse to wish cycle um, that actually cause a lot of havoc at recycling facilities. So Things like plastic bags tend to gum up the facilities or long things like hoses or extension cords. Those are called tanglers. They cause a lot of problems. Or batteries, especially reusable batteries, can cause fires and explosions. You know, your facility, you know, they know what 
what buyers they have. So make sure you follow your rules. And I will say that the most valuable recycled plastics on the market now are number one and number two bottles and jugs. So those tend to be like water bottles, plastic milk jugs, um, shampoo bottles. And those are materials that are have a value on the commodities market. Yogurt cups have a lower value, unfortunately, and there aren't really enough places in the U.S. that want to recycle them. You know, there's there's an issue with the sleeves on bottles. Talk about that. Oh, yeah. So the number one and number two bottles and jugs are the most recyclable, but they still can have some issues. So a lot of the time you'll see some kind of sleeve on your bottle that has the brand name on it. We were seeing more and more bottles that have a sleeve over kind of the whole bottle. And if you have a big sleeve on the bottle, then the machinery at facilities, they have cameras that will read what type of resin the bottle's made out of and kind of sort it into the right bin with air guns. But if that if there's a big sleeve in the way, it can't tell what type of resin it's made out of, and it'll just end up sending it to a landfill or incineration. So, you know, that's one thing where I say, you know, if you can, you know, avoid buying bottles that have, you know, try to avoid buying plastic bottles if you can, even avoid buying bottles with big sleeves even more. Or and then if you do get them, try to you know take off the sleeves before putting them in the recycling bin. Bottles and tops. Talk about that. Yeah. So plastic water bottles, like you said, are um, are more recyclable. They have an end market, but those caps are generally too small to make it through recycling machinery on their own. So you know, when I get into the debate of should you put the cap on or not, and the answer is yes, you should leave your cap on the bottle. And because by on their own, they'd fall through the machinery and caps. Once a manufacturer buys those bottles, they shred the whole bale of bottles. And then the caps are made out of number five and the caps will float to the surface of the water uh, after it's shredded. And the bottles are made out of PET and they'll sink to the bottom of, of the water. And so they're, they're able on the other end to kind of sort out the caps from the bottles. But Definitely put your cap on when you put it into your bin. So what about glass bottles and their cap? I would take those caps off, especially if it's, they tend to be metal caps on glass bottles. And so metal, that can be sorted a little bit easier at facilities because they use magnets. I mean, we know that plastic forks and other silverware of the garden variety type is not recyclable, but what about all those supposedly recyclable silverware and other items? The ones that are marketed as compostable, I still see as very problematic. Uh, I really want to concentrate on reuse as much as we can. You know, I try to bring my own utensils everywhere, but I will say that, you know, there is a lot of innovation happening. So let's get to some more of the solutions. This is happening as we spoke before, um, a movement to ban plastics. People are very worried about Ocean plastic pollution, which is, you know, you liken it to smog. Plastic breaks down into tiny little microscopic particles where it just goes into our food supply. And so what should be done? You know, a lot of what we've been saying, I think, concentrating on reducing single-use plastics in the first place and not just recycling is a big take-home. And then also fixing the recycling infrastructure and what things are made of. So making sure that packaging is recyclable in the first place. The Break Free from Plastics Act, BFFPP Act. Tell us what people can do to support it. Sure. Yeah. So the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act was introduced uh, back in 2020, and it really covers the whole life cycle of 
of plastics. So it has regulations for, for plastic production facilities to make sure that we're not adding more until we make sure we really need them. It has plastic bag laws and, and straws upon request policy, all those little items that we've already been talking about at the local and state level and kind of know how to address has extended producer responsibility. So corporations are paying for the cost of recycling and and waste disposal of their packaging. Uh, it bans shipment of, of low value plastic waste to developing countries. And so I think it really looks holistically at the plastics issue. And it's really sparked a lot of conversation. It's also sparked a lot of conversation at the state level, or we've seen 10 states introduce bills talking about EPR for packaging, and we're seeing companies also talking about it more. I think we're making some progress, but we really need to pick up the pace um, and we need to make a lot more progress soon in order to really reduce all the plastic that we're using. This is just a terrific book. Can I recycle this? Jenny Romer, it's been great to talk with you. Thanks so much for doing this work and for talking with us here on Writer's Voice. Thanks so much. Did you know your business or organization could be sponsoring this episode of Eco Radio KC? Learn more at kkfi.org marketing. Let's explore, let's question, let's decolonize together on Ebony's Bones. Tune in every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Here's the calendar for the week of 130-23. Registration has begun for Paddle Mo to support the Missouri Stream Team Watershed Coalition. Go to paddlemo.org. Wednesday, February 1st, 4 p.m., Meaningful Design and Stewardship of Native Landscapes is a virtual event hosted by Grow Native with Missouri Department of Conservation, Native Landscapes Specialist, Alex Daniel and Sydney Ross. To register, visit grownative.org. Wednesday, February 1st, 7.30 p.m., Dr. Daniel Wildcat speaks on exercises of indigenuity in an age of global crisis at Haskell University Auditorium, 155 East Indian Avenue, Lawrence, Kansas, and live-streamed via crowdcast.io. Thursday, February 2nd, 5.30 p.m., dinner at the farmhouse to benefit Casey Farm School's Farmers on the Rise program is at the farmhouse, 300 Delaware, KCMO. Tickets to reserve a seat at the table are required and must be purchased in advance at caseyfarmschool.org. Friday, February 3rd, noon, Selecting Fruit Trees and Berry Bushes, hosted by Kansas City Community Garden. This free event will share fruit planting techniques and discuss fruit plant varieties that they offer. It will be held at Kansas City Community Gardens, Swope Park Headquarters, 6917 Kensington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. To register, visit kccg.org. Friday, February 3rd, 1 p.m., Native Landscape Chat is at Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center, 4750 Troost, Kansas City, Missouri. The Native Landscape Chat will provide tips on how to prepare garden beds, plant choices, and layout design for spring gardening. 
to register, visit mdc.gov. Sunday, February 5th, 9.15 a.m. Do we have an ethical duty to conserve the High Plains Aquifer? Is an Earth Care Event Forum Series 2023 at First Presbyterian 2415 Clinton Parkway, Lawrence, Kansas, open to all? Burke W. Griggs, Associate Professor of Law, Washburn University School of Law, will speak about High Plains Ogallala Aquifer. Stay involved. Check your local political bodies for environmental issues. My name is Phil Bauer. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. January is Zero Waste Month, but I had not planned to speak on Eco Radio KC again about plastic bag waste until I received a recent email from our guest, Zach Pastora, lobbyist for Kansas Chapter of the Sierra Club that on Tuesday, that's tomorrow, January 31st, there will be a hearing at the Kansas Capitol on proposed legislation to stop municipal governments from restricting single-use plastics. Zach is our guest on Eco Radio this evening. Nancy Muma is also a member of Sierra Club, in fact, the group leader for the Wakarusa Group, and she's also the chair of the City of Lawrence Sustainability Advisory Board. Nancy is also our guest. Welcome, Nancy. So, has an ordinance restricting the use of single-use plastics come before the City Commission in Lawrence, and when? So, um, we have had um, a couple of hearings on our single-use plastic ordinance that the Sustainability Advisory Board has recommended. What action has been taken by them? The most recent discussion was on January 10th when we talked with the City Commission and, and they decided that they want to move forward with the ban on single-use plastic bags. So they're working on uh, writing the details of the ordinance uh, with their legal team and with the Sustainability Advisory Board and they then will bring it back on March uh, 21st, to um, discuss the details. So in the meantime, the state of Kansas has launched this ordinance, although there was rumor that this was going to happen, correct? Yeah. Well, that's Zach Pistora, lobbyist for the Sierra Club. Zach, is this the first time such a proposed bill has been considered by the Kansas legislature? Well, thanks for having me, uh, Terry, and, and great to be with you and, and on Eco Radio. No, uh, this this piece of legislation has been reused more than those plastic bags out there. They've uh, come before the legislature um, uh, last year, and and the legislature actually tried to pass the law until Governor Kelly uh, vetoed the legislation. There weren't enough votes to override the veto. But previously, we've seen this, uh, this proposed law to prohibit local communities from addressing uh, their plastic pollution issue at the local level uh, for, for a few years now. Yeah, we're mainly talking cities and, and counties that would pass these laws, yes. Who's bringing this legislation forward? So uh, this year, the primary author sponsor of the bill is the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, which is a... a, a a group of, of big businesses in, in Kansas. 
What is the Sustainability Advisory Board position on banning single-use plastic bags? So we've been working on um, trying to encourage the city to ban single-use plastic bags for a number of years now. And we've proposed several different uh, approaches in in, um, possible ordinance. And um, most recently, uh, we have suggested just a plain ban on all single-use plastic bags. What is the Sierra Club position on banning single-use plastic bags? It's a, it's a really bad idea, especially at the local level, because uh, that goes against the constitutional power in the Kansas Constitution of local communities to decide what's best for their community. Uh, it's democracy at its best, as far as I'm concerned. It gets rid of that, which is really bad, um, but also it, it stops, you know, uh, folks uh, like uh, like Nancy and 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 uh, leaders in Lawrence that are actually trying to do uh, stuff about the uh, plastic waste problem for their community. I mean, we see too much of this stuff in our uh, in, in our trees, in our drainage ditches, in our in our rivers and and streams, and and we really ought to do something about it. And so uh, I, I appreciate uh, both of you and and trying to do something that that in your community. Can you tell us what time the hearing will be on January 31st at the Kansas State Capitol? Can people attend? Yeah, the, the hearing is at 1030. It's in the Senate Commerce Committee of the, of the Kansas Legislature. And you can go to the Kansas Legislature website, uh, click on the, the audio video tab in the upper right hand corner, and then uh, find your way to the Senate Commerce Committee around 1030, and it, it'll be streamed. And also, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, many of the committees are, are streamed on YouTube. And tomorrow is another plastic hearing uh, dealing with, quote-unquote, advanced recycling, uh, which, which I'd be happy to talk to you about at your convenience. Okay, Zach. But advanced recycling sounds like a concept that will take too much time to talk about now. We're going to take a short break for our public service announcements. My name is Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC, and I'm talking with Zach Pastora of the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club, and Nancy Muma, who is also with the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club, and also chair of the Lawrence, Kansas Sustainability Advisory Board. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Daryl Oliver, volunteer coordinator at KKFI. Our phone drive will be starting soon, and we need volunteers for our phone bank. You can participate remotely or by coming to the station. All phone bank volunteers must be comfortable talking to donors on the phone and entering pledges on the computer. In addition, remote phone bank volunteers will need a reliable internet connection and a computer with a microphone and speakers. Sign up for a shift today at kkfi.org slash phone bank or contact me at 816-994-786. Support for KKFI provided by Kansas City Folk Festival, hosting a benefit for the Grassroots Fest on Sunday, February 5th, 2 to 5 p.m. at Boulevard Brewing Company's Rec Deck, featuring the music of jazz, old sound, and Sally and the Hurts. 
KC Folk Fest highlights the arts of our neighborhoods, region, and beyond. For more info, visit KansasCityFolkFestival.org. We're back with Eco Radio KC. I'm talking with Zach Pistora and Nancy Muma of the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club. And Zach, you were going to tell us about advanced recycling. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so there's a new bill in the Kansas legislature, but not a new bill to other state legislatures that deals with this concept of advanced recycling. I think it's more like advanced incineration. I've had experts tell me it's like putting your plastic non-recyclable items, so all that stuff you can't really recycle, as was talked about earlier in the program, Try putting that in your Instant Pot, your pressure cooker, and see what happens. Actually, to all those listeners, don't do that. It's a very bad idea. <laughs> uh, you're going to get bad smells and air quality really quickly. But this is the kind of the concept that, that um, the industry wants to do to try to um, deal with their plastic waste stream. And, and something I think it's important for us to realize you heard it. We only recycle about nine percent. Actually, recycle maybe between five and nine percent of all plastic waste. Okay, but meanwhile, since two thousand, um, uh, or excuse me, nineteen eighty, about nineteen eighty, we've produced five times more on average plastic in our daily lives. Okay. So we keep on making more and more plastics all the time, and yet we don't have any way to do with the, any uh, any way to deal with all that except for ship it to other countries for them to have the problem, or now um, try to uh, try to deal with it in an advanced recycling, melting it down sort of way. Otherwise, it ends up in the landfill. And a lot of times, we know it doesn't make it to landfill; it makes it to the ocean. Am, am I right about that? Nancy? Absolutely. And, and besides that, it breaks down into these tiny little particles, these nanoparticles, and it's in the air, it's in the water, and it ends up in our bodies, and they're toxic. Those nanoparticles cause inflammation. Inflammation and chronic inflammation causes cancer. It causes all kinds of diseases like bowel diseases and reproductive diseases, and it causes depression and anxiety, and it causes weight gain. So all kinds of things that we're dealing with now, are, and these are all things that plastics do in our bodies. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to kill grass on your yard, then throw gasoline on it. That'll kill it. Gasoline will kill all living things. It's a poison. Plastic's one way to call it. Plastics are made from petroleum, a poison. And on top of that, the plastic compounds do not degrade. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, this is, this is really uh, tough stuff. You know, we've come to be so reliant on it because of the convenience of it all, but we're not thinking really about our, our long-term impact of all these materials. This is one of the the fastest growing um, as, uh, materials out there as far as plastics, but it's also one of the fastest growing amounts of emissions we're putting out there uh, into our air. Um, some of the most energy intensive 
uh, manufacturing or uh, production, refinery, uh, that goes on. And so that's why I'm thinking about these advanced recycling facilities. Think of it as like a power plant and a refinery and like a landfill all mixed together. It's a, trying to get all those non-recyclable plastics, melt them down and turn them into things that they think they might be able to use. I'm not quite buying it. In my mind, it, we'd be much better off going uh, the way of reducing that kind of material and utilizing plant-based packaging, compostable materials that, that would suit Kansas and Missouri pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we yes. got agricultural mm-hmm. entities and, and we don't have to worry about stockpiling them to melt them down with a bunch of intense energy chemicals and pressure. Instead, we just put them down in the dirt and, uh, and, and let uh, nature help take care of it for us. Now, there's another term that has come across my reading, and that is EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility. So don't you think it would be a good idea to make the producers of plastic waste responsible for plastic waste instead of making us feel guilty as consumers when we have no option but to get plastic waste, and yet we we feel like, well, we've got to keep it out of the waterways. We've got to keep it out of those sea turtles and make us feel like creeps when what would be more practical would be to stop making it, as you said, Zach, in the first place. Kansas would be perfect for hemp, perfect. And that would have to help the economy as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Nancy, I'd be curious what you think, but I, I really think it's important for those that are producing these materials to do have some responsibility, some ownership of where those materials actually end up. And that the industry has been doing that um, for other products like carpets and, and batteries and paints and other hazardous materials. Well, as, as he told us, these are hazardous materials too. They end up in our body, they cause public health harm, they're ruining our oceans. I think they could do more on on general everyday products and, and so that could be paired with a any attempt to try to uh, put forth a, any more recycling options or to stop communities from doing something. If you really want to address the issue, let's hold those industries making the products accountable, and let's actually get some ways um, that'll help communities deal with the problem. That's a very interesting thing to say, Zach. It reminds me of your raising the idea of home rule, that this proposed legislation that prohibits municipalities from restricting single-use plastic bags or plastics at all, Uh, plastic silverware, plastic containers, food containers, clamshells, I'm sure are included in this proposed ordinance. And yet, who deals with trash in our society? The state of Kansas, do they come by your curb and pick up your trash every week? No. No, no. It is the municipality. And Nancy, do you have any idea? We have a fabulous facility in Lawrence, Kansas. Does our recycling plant take 
plastic bags? No, they don't do plastic bags and at all. And you know why not? Well, because plastic bags get tangled up in the recycling system and they just make a mess of recycling. So it costs the cities a lot of money to deal with these plastic bags. So they should be able to regulate the, the use of plastic bags just to be a cost savings for the cities. And I think that regulations on cleanup could, I'm not sure, logically I'm trying to think, it's one thing to say prohibit, preempt. This statute says clearly local ordinance will be preempted by this state law, which means state law rules. That's what preemption means. So if the state passed a regulation saying all plastic would go into a special container for destruction in any way, advanced chemical refining, or I think that they can use these things to make those dandy plastic decking boards. Has anyone heard this before? And if you have a deck on your home, those plastic boards are really the solution to the 21st century because they don't splinter, they're good for 100 years. You'll be talking to my grandchildren about the deck that I put up today, you know. (laughs) in a hundred years and it's okay with me if the city passed a regulation saying all manufacturers have to have a method to capture the plastic waste to pick it up and sort it and turn it into other products or use this advanced chemical recycling those would be good ideas so Zach, can people go to the State House and tell legislators their opinion at this hearing? Uh, uh, not exactly. Uh, it's it's one of those things where you have to know about it. You have to uh, write your testimony and submit it in advance. It's not like a, a local city council meeting where you can stand in line and wait for your turn to speak. That said, different committees uh, provide different opportunities, and and I will say at the very least, um, for those that are interested, do reach out to your elected officials and, and just start a conversation with them about these things, because all of us are affected by this. You know, we're all affected by uh, seeing too much trash in, in our areas, whether we live in the city or in the rural areas, and, and these materials have just made our way everywhere. Uh, just because of the abundance of them, and there's there's not a good place to deal with them. Um, the other thing is is that we rely on plastics a lot in our society. So we all have a stake in well, what are we going to do getting away from plastics if if that's a better option. And so um, just just something to be aware of and something to talk about because it's only going to get uh, more difficult as things go on. Listen to this. Scientists say that we're more likely, by 2050, we'll have more pounds of plastic in the ocean than fish. More pounds of plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. What? It'll be <laughs> like that fishing at the I don't, don't want to cause anybody to have any <laughs> nightmares tonight, but, you know, we ought to be alarmed by all this, and we ought to figure out this has gotten out of control. We need to do something about it. 
local communities are trying to do something about it in Kansas like Lawrence, so we shouldn't allow the state um, to, to stop them from doing that. Well, you know, in all fairness, I want to talk about Missouri, too. Missouri has passed uh, legislation that preempts municipalities from passing bans on single-use plastics. But there is a legislator there, Burnett, and she keeps raising a a law, a proposed law that would repeal that legislation. She did it again in January this year. So if any listeners are from Missouri and they want to support that legislator, Carol Burnett, I wish that you would. I think it's interesting when we talk about plastics, the legislators want to talk about profits. They want to talk about the money they could make with advanced chemical recycling. They can. Where we buy it from them, buy it from the merchants, then we take our own time and trouble to give it back to the merchants for them to gather, to process, so that they can sell it for another buck. It's pretty transparent. You don't have to to think very hard to do it. Now, right now, there are 18 states which have preemptive laws that prevent local jurisdictions from enacting these bans on single-use plastics. Eight states have banned plastic bags. And within the remaining states, 25 of them, there are many municipalities that have ordinance that ban single-use plastic bags. Washington, D.C., if any listeners have been traveling around the country and been to California or Washington, D.C., or New York City, I think, it's not hard to shop and buy in these communities that don't use single-use plastic. Now, Nancy, can you talk about alternatives to having a single-use plastic bag? What, what else can a person do? Well, you can certainly use a cloth bag. I have cloth bags that I've used for over 15 years and still use them. It's pretty simple. Once you get into the habit, it's really easy to just keep using those cloth bags over and again and again. It's not a problem. You know, 40% of all plastics produced are single use. It's low hanging fruit. It's so easy for us just to change our habits and not use those single use plastics. Um, that would be a huge decrease in all plastic production, 40%. That, that's a pretty big number in my book. Yeah, I like those cloth bags because I can launder them. If I go to the farmer's market and get some green that gets everything green in my bag, I can just wash it. And then I have it the next time at the store. It's nice and clean and, and suitable. And they're strong, too. How many people have had one of those single-use plastic bags just tear out on them? That's why you get these bags with only like two products in them, because if you put three products in them, they'd rip out and fall on the floor. They are not strong. They're, they're, I really think they're just being made to use up excess petroleum product, because then they can sell it to the vendor. The, the plastic bag manufacturers can sell it to the vendor. and. It's just a money-making proposition. So do either of you want to say anything else, Zach? I'm glad you reminded people to write to their legislators in Kansas. And 
I'm glad that I said it's time to do that in Missouri as well. So if you're living in a local government that's very good about capturing their waste and recycling their waste, they can do it without the state of Kansas being involved in how that's done. Nancy, did you want to say anything else this evening? Well, I just want to emphasize how when you make plastics, you produce a lot of CO2. So we don't want all that CO2 produced, and most Kansans agree that climate change is real and they want CO2 regulated. So I think we need to move forward with that. So please contact the Commerce Committee and tell them to oppose SB 47. Right. The the members of the Commerce, the Senate Commerce Committee, that's on the KansasLegislature.org. It's easy to Google that and you can get an address for these senators. Uh Zach, what did you want to add? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, uh, echo the point uh, Nancy made about the uh, emissions. You know, plastics could be uh, outpacing coal plants as far as uh, most uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, uh, comparatively. So we'll have more greenhouse gas emissions coming from uh, plastics than coal plants uh, in the near future. And remember, especially in the United States, most of the of the ethane that's made and cracked for for uh, plastic production is made is is done from uh, oil and gas extraction, namely fracked gas. Okay, so all the issues that we talk about with fracking on this program previously, with the earthquakes, with the taking of the water and contaminating the water. Um, and uh, and all that's that, that from fracking, um, you know, it, that, that's going to feed in plastic production. Um, and so just think about that for, for a minute. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having us on and, and raising this important conversation, uh, Terry. And, and Nancy, great to join you on the program. Thank you, Zach, and thank you, Nancy. And I'll see you both in Topeka tomorrow because we have a beautiful state house. And it's a happening place. And so while you're on the website, go ahead and take a look at this proposed bill for advanced chemical recycling, which is, again, a money-making proposition for manufacturers of plastic, not necessarily the best for the environment. And it also makes more responsibility on us as consumers to make sure we separate our plastic bags, keep our plastic bags clean. You know, you can't launder those single-use plastic bags. Has anybody ever tried? <laughs> uh, that, that is impossible. That stuff is, is only waste. It can be u- reused 100 million times. I want to thank you both very much for being on Eco Radio, Casey. Thank you. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of January 30th, 2023. Democracy Now! reports Chevron has announced plans to repurchase $75 billion of its own stock, angering consumer advocates who accused the oil giant of price gouging. The stock buyback came as Chevron reported record profits in 2022. 
U.S. Senate Democrat reintroduced the Fair and Transparent Gas Prices Act, which would crack down on unfair practices by fossil fuel companies. Inside Climate News Reports Neighbors of refineries can see the glowing flares and visible plumes of air pollution rising into the sky. But water pollution often happens at ground level or below, out of sight for both local residents and environmental regulators. In a new report, the nonprofit Environmental Integrity Project counted toxic discharges of unregulated pollutants self-reported by refineries and found that seven of the nation's ten worst polluters of total dissolved solids operated along the Texas coast. According to the Environmental Integrity Project report, federal law regulates just 10 pollutants from refineries liquid discharge through standards last updated in 1985. The group called on the EPA to update its rules and reduce water contamination from the refinery sector. EcoWatch reports, if a product is titled simply orange juice and advertised as all natural, you would reasonably expect that it contained freshly squeezed orange juice, water, and little else. You certainly wouldn't expect it to contain unsafe levels of toxic forever chemicals linked to health ailments from immunosuppression to reproductive problems to cancer. Yet, that is exactly what the Coca-Cola-owned Simply Orange product contain, according to a class action lawsuit filed in a New York federal court on December 28th of 2022. Climate denial and pro-fossil fuel messages are making a stark comeback across social media platforms, according to a report released by the Institute for Strategic Dialogues. The report's finding reveal negligence from big tech companies who not only continue to monetize and enable, but in some cases actively recommend such content to users. It plants those seeds of doubt and make people think maybe there isn't scientific consensus about harms to the climate. A gigantic iceberg nearly the size of Greater London has broken free in Antarctica. It was the second major event from the same area in the past two years. Oklo, a California-based energy startup, has submitted its licensing project plan for a commercial-scale nuclear fuel recycling facility to the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The fuel recycling facility will be the first of its kind and is meant to make use of nuclear waste, which still has up to 90% of its energy content that could be used to meet energy needs in the United States. Sustainability Action Newsletter reports facts about single-use plastic bags. Plastic bags start as fossil fuel and end up as deadly waste in landfills and the ocean. The fossil fuel industry plans to increase plastic production by 40% over the next decade. American use 100 billion plastic bags a year, which requires 12 million barrels of oil to manufacture. Americans use an average of 365 plastic bags per person per year. People in Denmark use an average of four plastic bags per year.
It only takes about 14 plastic bags for the equivalent of gas required to drive one mile. In 2015, about 730,000 tons of plastic bag sacks and wrappers were generated in the United States, and more than 87% of those items are never recycled, winding up in landfills and the ocean. About 34% of dead leatherback sea turtles have ingested plastics. The plastics typically used in bottles, bags, and food containers contain chemical additives which are associated with negative health effects, including cancer, birth defects, and immune system suppression in humans and wildlife. It takes 1,000 years for a plastic bag to degrade in a landfill. Unfortunately, the bags don't break down completely, but instead become microplastics that absorb toxins and continue to pollute the environment. Chemical leachates from plastic bags impair the growth of the world's most important microorganism, a marine bacterium that provides one-tenth of the world's oxygen. There were 1.9 million grocery bags and other plastic bags collected in the 2018 International Coastal Cleanup. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in next week or listen to our podcast. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI. 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musical, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Jody Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Ooh.